Good morning. All right. Uh, my name is Ryan Beer, and I am the pastor of Go and Micro Churches, which, if you're new and you're like, what in the world does that mean? That's a very long and convoluted title. First of all, yes. But second of all, it means that I oversee our local and global mission stuff that we do. So stuff that we engage in in the community and then stuff uh, beyond as we have some overseas partners that we work with. And then I also partner with Pastor Robin to work with our micro churches, which are small expressions of the church that meet together. Um, and that's a great place where people are discipled and grow in their ability to follow Jesus. And so those, that's some of what, who I am and what I do here at Westwood. And this morning, oh, can we get the slides up there? There we go. This morning, uh, we are continuing our series in Matthew. And today we'll be in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be talking about motives. Okay? So sometimes when we talk about motives, it's a little uncomfortable. If that's the case for you, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> right? Like, motives are one of those things because. Here's the thing about motives. Sometimes we can do what seemingly are the right things for the wrong motives, right? Or sometimes we have good intentions, but things don't go the way that we hoped they would. Motives are an interesting thing because often the only people that really truly know are real motives for something our God, and ourselves. And sometimes I think we're actually pretty good at even fooling ourselves. Right? If we're honest. Um, a lot of times, the things that we do in life that we regret the most, we were the ones that talked ourselves into it and justified why it was a good idea. We, we can uh, deceive even ourselves and what our motives are for something sometimes, I think. So this morning... Uh, we're going to dive into what did Jesus have to say uh, about certain good works that were common for the Jewish people of those days to kind of say these, these are, they called them the cardinal good works, okay? The cardinal good works. And there were three of them. And Jesus addresses these three cardinal good works and the motives that people had for why they did them, Okay? So the first one was giving to the poor, right? Giving to the poor, that seems like a pretty good thing to do. Um, the second one is prayer. And the third one is fasting. So these were the three cardinal good works. Now, because they were considered the three cardinal good works, sometimes people, as we're going to see, in order to look good would practice these for maybe not the best reasons. And so what we're going to do is we're going to examine what, it, what it is the right motivation behind the good works that we're called to do by God. What is, what is the right motives? And maybe what are some nefarious, kind of impure motives that we can sometimes slip into? And how do we try to right our hearts so that we are doing good things, but we're doing them 
from a heart that is right. Okay? So if you have uh, your Bibles, whether it's, you know, on your mobile device or you have, you know, the paper copy like this, um, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. Okay? Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus is going to start by the first cardinal good work uh, up there, which is giving to the poor. He says this. He says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So there's a couple things going on here, right? There were certain people, and often they were, they were actually the religious leaders or teachers. Yikes. Um, and they would give to the poor, but they would do it in a big theatrical way so that everybody could see it, right? It'd be, you know, like, I would, I would bring my gift and I'd be like, oh, yeah, just want everybody to see how generous I am. Can, can you see that as I give this gift to Bob over here, how generous I am? Bob, you must be so grateful that I'm giving you this generous gift. Like they would make a big show of it. Because the idea was not to be generous to the person that they were giving it to. The idea was to make themselves look good. Look how good I am. Look how generous I'm being. Their motives were in the wrong place. And, and so, but you could ask the question, like, so, so what? At least, you know, the poor person was getting something they needed. So, like, why, why do motives really matter then? Like, what's the big deal? Well, I want to posit that the motives matter because the why affects the how. Why you are doing something affects how you're doing it. So the way, if you're trying to make a big show of it and be generous for show, the way that you might do that actually is not healthy to the person. There's two impure motives going on here that we can see in this example. One is the seeking of admiration of others. That's not meant to be the primary reason that we do things, but yet here we find that is a significant motive in why people uh, that Jesus is talking about are giving to the poor. But the second is this idea of seeking to gain power over another. Right? When you are giving in this big, elaborate way, making a show of it, trying to show how generous you're being to this poor person, you're raising yourself above them, and you're putting them beneath you. And you're saying, look at me and how well I'm doing. Let me help you, you poor person. The, 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 the relationship, we're not giving of ourselves relationally. We're creating this unhealthy power dynamic that I am above you as someone who is poor. I'm better than you. And that really isn't healthy. 
I want to tell you a story um, that was written. It was in the 1800s. It was by someone named Catherine Carswell. She's writing and she's talking about her uncle. And one of the things her uncle would do um, is he would go on the weekend and he would bail out on Saturday morning every person who was in the drunk tank in his, in his town in Scotland. Okay? And when he did, he would make this big elaborate show of it and say, hopefully you too can one day stop this kind of behavior and behave more like myself. Right? I hope that this will be the last time that you do this. And she writes this really beautiful line about it. She said, uh, people, some, sometimes people thought, wow, my uncle was a generous person. But I began to recognize this, that in all his giving, he never gives himself. In all his giving, he never gives himself. And this line, this idea, like in our giving, we're supposed to give of ourselves because what is the motivation for why we should give to the poor? It should be out of love. It should be out of genuine care and love for our fellow human being. And when we make this unhealthy power dynamic, there can't be this relational giving of ourselves where we're giving to the person, but we're giving to the person and we want to be somehow in relationship with them because we care about them as a human being and we want them to experience the love of God just as we've experienced it in our own lives. And so it's important that when we give that there's also this aspect of giving ourselves. There's there's an expression that says the most dangerous thing you can do with poverty is give it a name. As soon as you know the person, as soon as you know their name, it changes the dynamic, doesn't it? It, it? It moves the heart in a different way when there's a relational aspect to caring for somebody who's in need when they're not just somebody to keep at arm's length to feel good about ourselves in what we're doing. So this is important when we think about how we give and how we are show care and kindness because Jesus doesn't say, don't do it. He actually says, when you do this, when you give to the poor, but he says, like, think about your motives. Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it out of a place of love for these people? Okay, let's continue on. Then next, Jesus addresses prayer. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. So this was another thing that would happen, is people would stand up in the synagogues, which is kind of like the church of the day, their church buildings of the day, and they would pray big, elaborate prayers in front of people, or even on the street corner. They would pray big, elaborate prayers, and they would recite these prayers from memory, and they would be long prayers that they had memorized, and people would be like, wow, they memorized that whole thing? That's impressive. But the point wasn't 
right about why they were praying. They were praying to make a show of it. So what is the point of prayer then? Well, I think the passage actually points that out as, you, as we go on. It says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Right? God, God already knows. Before we even pray, God already knows what's on our heart. He already knows what's on our mind. He already knows what we need. So just speak to him. We don't need to carry on and continue on. And sometimes we try to make like our prayers like sound like, like our prayers, if we're honest, sometimes we're doing them more to impress other people in the way that we're praying. It's, it's not about the, 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 the prayer, the talking to God. It's about showing to others how eloquent and beautiful our prayers can be and how intelligent we are and, and all the great theological language we can throw in there, right? And to be honest, sometimes pastors are the worst at this, right? I like to call it preach praying. It's like the sermon is over and then they're praying, but actually they're still preaching. <laughs> Oh, all the pastors are not happy with me now. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, but this is, this is not what prayer is meant to be about. What is prayer to be about? He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This, there's this idea of giving reverence to God, recognizing who God is. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's this aspect of prayer that is about desiring God's will for your life, for your community, your city, your nation, your world. It's like this desire of like, God, it's not about me and what I want, but I I want your will, your perfect will to be lived out. Help me to be able to do that as best as I can. And then he, he says you can share your needs. Like give us today our daily bread. There are things we need and God knows that. And it's okay to ask him for those things. And then he says forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So this idea of forgiving people. And then asking that God would give us strength is the last one. To not fall into temptation to do the things that we don't want to do, right? Paul, Paul says it really beautifully, and I think that every one of us can relate to this in Scripture. He says, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I want to do, I don't do, right? Ever, can you relate to that? Anybody ever feel that? Like, I don't want to do this. Oh, but I did it again. <clears throat> and then, like, I really should do that. I really feel like, okay, I'm going to do that. Why did I not do that, Right? And so this is, the, this is the idea, like, God, give us the strength to do the things we're, that we know that we, we need to do and are called to do that are part of your will. And give us the strength to resist doing the things that, that don't honor you and aren't kind to others and, and this kind of thing, right? This is how we pray. Because really, prayer at its heart is meant to be about us relating to God 
and growing in our love for him. That's a huge part of what prayer is about. But these people are falling into the impure motive of spiritual pride. Look at me. Look at how holy I am, how, how pious I am. Look at, look at the big, elaborate prayers I can do. And though they might be impressing their fellow humans, according to Jesus, they're not impressing God much. Right? He says, look, they've already got the reward. Like, people think they're so great and holy, but, but wouldn't, wouldn't they rather have an eternal reward? Wouldn't they rather have a deep and meaningful relationship with me rather than this showy, shallow nonsense? And then fasting, Jesus goes on to talk about fasting, and he says, when you fast, he's like, you know, like one of the things they would do is they would make it like really obvious that they were fasting. Um, Listen to what it says. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure your fa- their faces. Can you imagine intentionally disfiguring your face? Look, I'm fasting, guys. Look how holy I am. To show men that they are fasting, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Same idea with the fasting. It's not meant to be done for show and to show off for others. It's meant so that you, in giving up something, can recognize that God is the one who gives you everything. And he's the one that provides. Which then leads Jesus into his next thing he's going to say, where he's going to talk about treasure. And he's going to ask this question, what is your treasure? What are you putting your trust in? What, do you, what, do, what, it, what matters to you the most? And he says this, he says, do not store up your treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Don't make your treasure material possessions, in other words. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then a little bit further on, he he makes it really clear what he's saying. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So what is he saying here? Is he saying like making money is evil and it's bad and we shouldn't participate in that and we should all just live life in poverty? No, he's talking about something a little bit further. He's talking about making it the thing that you put your trust in, making it the thing that you revolve your life around. It's not about, I mean, there are some incredibly successful wealthy people who are like incredibly generous, God-honoring people. It's not that the making of the money is wrong. It's about, well, first of all, one could make an argument that's another, that's for another day of how you make the money is important. But secondly, it's about, is that where your treasure is? Like, or do you recognize that 
God has given you everything. He's given you the ability to make that money in the first place. He's the one that provides for you. And you have this mentality that everything you own is actually his. And that if he asks for it, and he wants you to give it for some reason to another person, to some kind of cause, whatever it might be, do you hold it loosely enough that you'll say, yes, it's yours, God. It always was. I was just taking care of it for a while. Or do you say, no, that's mine. You can't have that, God. That's off limits to you. That's only mine. That shows where the treasure is. Is your treasure in God? Is he your treasure? Is he what you put your trust in? Or is it over here? In money. And this is where your treasure is. And you're going to hold on to that tightly. Where are you putting your treasure in? Which brings us to really then the fourth impure motive that this passage of scripture is talking about, which is greed. Greed. Never having enough. Always wanting to store up more and more for ourselves while we see our fellow brothers and sisters in need. Right? James says it well. It says, if you have the material things and you see your brother or sister in need and you don't help them, how can you say that the love of God is in you? Fair question. And a hard one. Sometimes. So where's our treasures? Do we hold everything that we have loosely, thanking God for it, and willing to give it to him whenever he asks or requires of it? Or is that an area of our life that's off limits to God? You can have everything else, God, but not my finances, not my money. And we can do this with all kinds of things, not just money. But money sometimes can be, in our world, uh, one of those temptations that is hard to give up. Okay, so we've talked a lot about impure motives. Let's talk a little bit more about what the motive should be. The motive should always be love of God and love of others, right? Of all the commandments in, in all of Scripture, Jesus says all of it can come, comes down to really two main things. The kingdom of God is really built on two main principles, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Or simplified even further, love God, love others. Right? But in order to do this, we have to ask ourselves, first of all, where do you place your trust? What is your trust in? Is your trust in God? Is your trust, or is your trust somewhere else? Here's what I know. This has been my experience. 
the more that we allow the love of Jesus to impact our own hearts, our own minds, our own souls, the more that we allow Jesus, we, we allow that to seep into our hearts, how deep God loves us, the more that we are now capable of loving others well. Like, if we stop and think about it, God loved us so much. First of all, he loved us enough to create us to begin with, which is in and of itself incredible, because God is self-sustaining. He didn't necessarily need us, but that he desired to create us, and not just to just to create us, but then to be in relationship with us. And in fact, that, that it broke his heart so much that we chose to disobey and to choose to live our lives in rebellion and separate ourselves from a perfect God, that he loved us enough that he said, no, that, I'm not okay with that. I don't accept that. I am going to send my son, Jesus, the son of God. He's going to actually come live amongst you and then be willing to go and to die and rise again so that you can once again, through my son and his perfect life and death and sacrifice, be in right relationship with me again. That's how deeply God loves you. That he said, I'm not okay with them not being in relationship with me. I will sacrifice my very self to be with them again. That is the heart of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus. And sometimes, I think some of us, maybe especially those of us who have been in the church our whole lives, we don't stop enough to go, wow, God loves me in a really deep and profound way. And, that, and here's the incredible thing. There is nothing you can or will do that can separate you from the love of God. Yeah, but Ryan, you don't know what? No, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but, but, no, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is doesn't disqualify you from being loved deeply and unconditionally by God. And when we recognize that our identity is found in this deep love that God has for us, that we are his children And that he loves us unconditionally and he, and he wants us to join him in helping others experience this love for themselves. That should be the motivation for why we live our lives. Why we do what we do. That's it. That is the most purest of all motives.
that we recognize how much God loves us. And we want others to experience that love. And we're willing to do tangible things to show that love to others. God's love compels us to love others well, even difficult people, because Jesus was audacious enough to even ask us to love our enemies. Right? And he says, you know what? That's impossible for you to do, but with the lo- if you really experience my love, I will give you the power to even do that. I will change your hearts that you will even be capable of that level of loving other human beings and wishing them well. So let me ask you to examine your own life and ask yourself, are you living a life that exemplifies that you love and trust Jesus? Weigh your own heart this morning. Is your life showing that you love and trust Jesus? Are others experiencing the love of Jesus through how you are going about living your life? And, and, and if the answer is no, don't sit in shame and guilt. The thing about God is he's so gracious. He'll forgive you. Just, just declare that to him and say, hey, I haven't been living this way and I'm sorry. Help give me the power and strength to start living this way. Help me to love people deeper, Jesus. I need your help in this. This doesn't come easy for me. He's not here to sit and, and to let you sit in your shame. He wants you to let go of that and trust him and begin to allow his love to penetrate your heart and soul so that you can now start to live and love in this way. So what we're going to do this morning is maybe a little different. We're going to have the worship team come join me in just a second here. And they are going to sing a song. And this song, I love this song. Because this song really speaks of how deeply Jesus loves and pursues you. And that there's nothing that can separate us from him. There's nothing that can stop the love of God. And so what I want you to do, if you want to sit, if you want to stand, whatever you want to do, but I just want you to listen to the words of this song. If you feel compelled to join in singing, I'm not going to run around stopping you. But I want you to really resonate and just, just really like ruminate on the, on the words and think to yourself like, wow, this is how much God loves me. And then as, as the worship team is playing this song and singing this song and even as they finish... If you are like, I know that I haven't let the love of God into my life, and you want to come up here and pray with me, or if any of the other pastors or elders are around and you want to make yourself available for prayer, please feel free to come up and do that. Or if you're just like, you know what? I just need prayer that God would help me to love, begin to love other people 
well, because I know I, I really haven't been doing that. And I need to experience his love in a deeper way so I can do that. If you, if you want prayer for anything in this regards or motives or whatever it might be, I'm just going to make myself available. I'll just be sitting here quietly and just come up and I'd love um, to pray with you this morning. So without further ado, let's just listen to the words of this song and let the love of God wash over us as we hear it this morning.
Thank you so much for being here today. Just a reminder that the Board of Elders is in the Youth Center after the service, awaiting any questions or comments you might have. So please join them in there today. Have a great week.